0: Welcome to episode 256 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Penelope, Lucy, Christina, and Deborah. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Penelope, Lucy, Christina, and Deborah, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with a seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can so much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery
1: before we begin we would like to state that though we at the recovery show maybe in a 12-step program we represent ourselves rather than the program during this show we will share our own experiences the opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them take what you like and leave the rest
0: we hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Tom. Welcome, Tom.
1: Hey, thanks for
0: having me on today. I appreciate it. And I asked you to to pick a reading uh, to open with uh, that had some meaning for you. So page
1: 74, which is March 14th of Courage to Change, is The Pigeon Story. (laughs) And I'll go ahead and read that. One beautiful day, a man sat down under a tree, not noticing it was full of pigeons. Shortly, the pigeons did what pigeons do best. The man shouted at the pigeons and he stormed away, resenting the pigeons as well as the offending material. But then he realized that the pigeons were merely doing what pigeons do, just because they're pigeons and not because he was there. The man learned to check the trees for pigeons before sitting down. Active alcoholics are people who drink. They don't drink because of you or me, but because they're alcoholics. No matter what I do, I will not change this fact, not with guilt, shouting, begging, distracting, hiding bunny or bottles or keys, lying, threatening, or reasoning. I didn't cause alcoholism. I can't control it, and I can't cure it. I can continue to struggle and lose, or I can accept that I am powerless over alcohol and alcoholism. And let al help me redirect the energy I've spent on fighting this disease in, into recovering and from its effects today's reminder it's not easy to watch someone i love to continue to drink but i can do nothing to stop them if i see how unmanageable my life has become i can admit that i am powerless over this disease then i can really begin to make my life better it stands to reason that a change in us will be a force for
0: good that will help the entire family that's from how can i help my children which I believe is a pamphlet, an Al-Anon pamphlet, your meeting may stock it, and if it doesn't, and you want to know about it, then you should ask the literature person at your meeting to get it. Thanks for the reading tom and and I understand uh you know sort of why you picked that reading seems like it was relevant to your life, so why don't we talk a little bit about maybe what first brought you to Al-Anon? Yeah, thanks, so I
1: haven't had an opportunity on um, on the podcast. I've been on just a couple times to, to share that, and I appreciate you asking me on to share that. As I keep coming back, the, the story keeps changing, and you would think they would just always stay the same. The truth is the truth, right? But it's, it's funny how awareness changes as, uh, as I stay in recovery. How I remember things uh, changes, and how the further I can remember back changes as well. So I'm going to start my story a little bit further back than I typically do in a meeting. Well, we have a little bit more time here than you typically have in a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's great. And I appreciate that. How I grew up was a loving home. I really, I, I felt, I, I, I look back at when I was young and I, I felt what I knew as love and it was great. There was a lot of really good memories. Uh, we went camping. We went bicycling. We did family activities, and it was really good. There were some things that uh, that were just a normal way of life. I was okay with them. I want to say I didn't have any option other than to be okay with them, and that would be true, but it sounds a little bit colder than, wh- than what it was. There wasn't this uh, forcefulness kind of about it. There was just a one option of Approach kind of thing shown to me. And uh, so I grew up in, in a very religious home, and uh, that was fine for them. It, it, it actually works really well for them. It presented some issues for me. I don't think there's a direct relation between that religious upbringing and some of the things that became an issue. I used to th- correlate those things. And uh, as I've stayed in recovery and I've got to experience others experience strength and hope that uh, grew up in similar households, I've seen them uh, be able to separate the two. And through that, I've been able to have some recovery from that too, and be able to separate and let go of some uh, resentments from that religious upbringing, just associating religious upbringing with uh, some of the screwed-up family dynamics I experienced. Mm. And so to get into those family dynamics, and, and others may relate to this, I hear this quite a bit at the meetings, I was I was uh, inadvertently, never directly, <laughs> told uh, not to touch, talk, or feel.
0: Mm.
1: When I mean touch, it doesn't mean we didn't ever hug each other. It just means we weren't the hugging family. When a relative would hug us at a Christmas, Easter, just any kind of normal family event, what I come now to realize in my life is normal uh, family event, and we, our family was to be hugged, we would squirt. It was very uncomfortable. And I would say that had to do with the amount that um, probably our parents hugged us. Uh, I haven't completely separated it, but you know, uh, the church we grew up in definitely, you know, we shook hands. You know, that's how the greeting was. There wasn't any hugs and, and that's okay, but definitely the kind of relationship a family member has is a little bit different than us. Uh, maybe a relationship you have with a church member. So hugging was uncomfortable. And that's kind of what I mean by it was taught not to, to touch. And I'll talk a little bit about it later, but that rolled in some, to some other issues. Also, talking. Oh, we talked. <laughs> we Education was really important in our family. So it's not like we sat a- at dinner tables in silence. And so I don't
0: want to give that picture. So when you say you didn't talk, you're saying you didn't talk about what's going on inside you. You talked mostly about external stuff. Is that That's how right. I would interpret that? Yeah.
1: So when I say we didn't talk and we didn't feel, they're kind of directly related, right? So we didn't talk about our feelings. If we acted up as children or we did something wrong, or if we actually came to our parents about somebody else that did something wrong, the feelings weren't really addressed. I had a lot of anger as a child and how they were addressed were not... There weren't conversations with me about it. And I know... Now, as being a little bit older, it is not the easiest thing to have a conversation with a child. <laughs> Their ability to uh, comprehend what an adult's saying is limited, and I understand that, but I don't recall an attempt. What I recall is these coping mechanisms that are still <laughs> ingrained with me today, and that is just let them go. Go to your room. Go ride your bike. If I had a babysitter, they were instructed, if Tom gets frustrated or angry, just let him go, ride ride his bike, and he will come back. And you let him go as long as he needs to be gone. There was never this thing, there was this this extreme uh, coping by, by my parents that was like a grounding type deal, where it was room, which was isolation, and, and discipline, all wrapped up in one. And or the isolation of fleeing on on bike or walking usually was on bike because I could get further away quicker, more quickly, you know, and and that was uh, like a rewarding kind of isolation. So in, in both cases, I was uh, taught what I've now learned and kind of broken it down to I was taught not to talk about what I was going through And I internalized all of it, which really just led to more frustration, resentfulness, and anger. And it snowballed. And then the feelings, too, go right along with that. I didn't know if somebody asked me what I was feeling, especially just, you know, not too long ago, (laughs) I would not even name feelings. I would say something like cold. (laughs) Hmm. That's not a feeling. I didn't know that so it's it's kind of interesting um that i am very out of touch with, with feelings in general, and I am slowly but surely um, being able to separate my parents' parenting styles from who they are they did the best they could with the tools they had and i'm I'm just a product of of that there is no doubt and that's why I opened up with um the good memories. There's no doubt that there was a love and that the things they did for me were out of love. I'll be touching base on it just in a little bit, but um, there's some readings that talk about (laughs) love and how uh, people in Al-Anon tend to show love in what I call not normal ways and definitely unhealthy ways, making it very difficult for the person we're trying to show love to and to interpret them. (laughs) Hmm.
0: That's what you learned about feelings, about how you felt them, talked about them, didn't talk about them, didn't feel them, didn't know what you were feeling maybe some of the time as as you were growing up. I can relate to that as an adult when I was trying to deal with the act of alcoholism in my family the only feeling that i can identify looking back at that time i mean yeah okay there was probably times when when stuff was good and and you know there was some happiness in there but the main thing that i had was just this this anger mm. you know anger frustration and resentment as you say that was the that was what was in there for me and i lost the ability to be able to express that i was feeling whatever i was feeling i think sometimes we come into that place Later in life, and and then we have to get out of it. Sometimes we start with it, but you know, I think I have some parallel there. I did have, even as a child. I think we didn't talk about feelings a lot, but I don't remember getting a message that we don't talk about them. But I probably did, because I still have trouble talking about it. <laughs> you know, except in safe places like meetings. Yeah,
1: and I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. It's it's that's why it's 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 very difficult to take. Um, what we I've learned at a meeting to the family in in a constructive kind of way and what I mean by that is to to not use the uh, the tools I've learned as uh, little uh, daggers or, or weapons like saying to the family how they should actually be communicating or how we should be doing things instead of uh, using what's step one for me as a, a a lot of involved in is which is accepting who they are and how they are
0: which gets back to the reading that you started with yep they're pigeons they're pigeons and they do what pigeons do
1: even if they're not addicts or alcoholics they're part of the family disease and they don't have the tools that i'm just now starting to get so they just don't have what i have and I have to accept that. And it, the responsibility is on me, and that's what this pro, this program for me is about, It's just liberating myself and giving myself um, some serenity. So what happens next? So I grow up, and uh, growing up is tumultuous, uh, not being able to expel any of these feelings or talk to anybody about them. When I did talk to uh, people about them, they tended to be in pretty unhealthy ways, Yelling arguments that came out in explosive ways, and, and and what happened then was that basically what I was actually trying—the message I was trying to actually deliver—was never received. A totally different message was was received, and, and I still struggle with that today. There was just a, a, a cycle of of rebellion. There was so much pain and anger associated with my upbringing that I did a total uh, 180. I, I went the other way. <laughs> uh, I want to have nothing to do with uh, religion anymore. Anybody that didn't drink, there was no drinking in my family. Something else I should mention is that separates uh, my story from all, a lot of the stories I hear in Al-Anon is that I didn't have an active alcoholic parent. Uh, I didn't see drinking. Drinking was That was actually talked about in my family, and it wasn't allowed. Uh, We didn't cook with wines. I asked about it. We, you know, we were um, totally abstinent from wine, alcohol, completely. That was just like one of those things I was referring to earlier. That that was just the one option, and so we went from there. There wasn't a lot of discussion as to other family members that struggled with uh, drinking and that that had anything to do with
0: uh, why we didn't have alcohol in the house. So looking back now as an adult, do you identify that there was alcoholism in the surrounding family? Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there was, uh, or at least problem drinking. If we don't necessarily identify it as, I won't identify other people. uh, Right.
1: Definitely. uh, I'm trying to move away from that. I would say in early recovery, I would say, yep, that's the guy. He fits the bill. Uh, check boxes. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, uh, And my father actually fits right in the category of uh, of, uh, a portion of his life had some problem drinking, and I didn't find out until after I was in recovery, and that was a little bit earth-shattering for me Uh, that shook some foundations. So he, yeah, he he had some problem drinking. My mom came in and rescued him. This might sound familiar, <laughs> and uh, brought him to the church. He he did actually abstain the rest of his life. He never had another drink, and that's why. And that's the that's the father that I know. But there were some things set into motion that I've come to know is uh, some people call shortcomings, character defects, um, isms isms that weren't taken care of by the church, I guess you could say, that I inherited. I, I got them without any intention. I, d- I didn't go on a quest to become like my father that I never saw, I you know, but I saw portions of him. I saw an angry father, an explosive father, and a father that loves me, and but sometimes it was a very confusing situations where he showed his love through anger. Wow, uh, that's hmm. a that's a confusing scenario. Yeah. His brother that we had, I had almost no relationship with my uncle. I remember meeting him, but a handful of times. None of them were too disturbing. <laughs> One time I came in and to uh, my uncle's apartment and saw a bunch of photographs on the wall that weren't age appropriate for me and found out that he wasn't just a photographer for GM, I guess we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) I see. And so I was told that that was the reason why that, you know, we didn't have a close relationship with that uncle. And then later on, I found out that there was a lot of drinking going on with him as well. I didn't see any. And that could be my parents could have tried to control that. Uh, That would make sense. I'm not sure but i see some patterns there with him and then also uh as talking with my, with my mother i i asked her you know i was trying to find out about the as i called it the mental health of the family <laughs> she's not quite in tune with the disease of alcoholism so or the term mental health but she's a little bit a little bit more friendly to that term so i use that one and she told me about my dad's mother that worked in the 20s um for Henry Ford downtown Detroit and that she had been put on leave for stealing pills and and taking them and uh, I was like oh that sounds a lot like an addict
0: <laughs> yeah
1: so um I see a pattern you know so yeah. there's uh there's my my dad's mother and uh, at least uh, one of the brothers likely and then maybe possibly my father so it's, sometimes I relate as a, an adult child of an alcoholic. If I go through and take their little quiz or their test to see if I relate, I relate with every one of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whether or not I'm I, in that process, I don't have to say whether he is one or not one because right. that checklist is about me and how I feel in some of the scenarios and family dynamics that I grew up in. And I, I, I check mark those. So I I grew up into some of those cycles that uh, my dad uh, showed, and uh, though I thought I was running as far away from the way I was being brought up, I ran right into them. I ran into problems with uh, alcohol myself. It was a rude awakening, and I I, I went through uh, quite a few years of trying to find out all the, uh, in quotes, the real problem— uh, which was, were, was everything but the drinking. <laughs> it was the group of friends I was with. It was the places we were hanging out. It was specific people in the group of friends. And it was everybody but me or the drinking. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes it was the other people's drinking. <laughs> and uh, that could have definitely been part of the problem. But luckily, I did find I, I did find recovery, you know, and I hit my rock bottom in that program. And that's kind of what brings me up to the, you know, to the beginning of my Al-Anon story. So I had just gotten into re- recovery in the in the AA program. As a lot of uh, alcoholics do, I did the extreme thing of kicking everybody out of my life. <laughs> Whether they had been there to support me legitimately with all the tools they had or didn't have or not, they were out. I stopped communicating with nearly everybody. There was a lot of people that reached out to me when they knew what I was going through and told me that they wanted to continue to uh, continue a friendship with me and that drugs, alcohol did not ever have to be involved and that they wanted to make sure that I knew that they didn't see our relationship or friendship having anything to do with those things. Hmm. Those people got kicked out too, just to
0: be sure. So you were kicking people out because you were thinking that this problem had something to do with the friends you were with or well, or just because you didn't feel comfortable with? What? So there's a lot of things going on there.
1: Part, part of it was just this, the, well, well in quotes, the scene I was in, they're all part of it. So it, it, it was kind of just one big trigger. I was were there was a concern about how do I hang out with these people without any of those things without talking about, like the, the, this thing of what we did, this, this scene, which was a nightclub scene, a music scene, how, this is all we talked about. Mm. The social structure of it. Like this person dates this person and you know, gossip. You know, how do I stop thinking about my old way of life and hang out with these people? That's a so how do I do this without triggers? You know? And I wasn't as elegant, I couldn't think about it like that back then. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I just did the extreme thing and said, no. <laughs> and like we talked about earlier, I mentioned I was taught at a young age to isolate, so I felt safe, safe isolating. I got to take care of this problem, and they're not part of the solution. I got to do this on my own. You know, I've gotten a little bit more in-depth now in my recovery and realized that (laughs) that wasn't necessarily the answer, and I didn't need to do all that, but that was part of my journey, and that's, uh, that's what happened. And part of my journey now is to rekindle uh, some of the, the those friendships with those people that did try to reach out. And so a loved one reached out to me and said, said to me, you know, there's there's a program for friends and families of alcoholics. And I said, "Well, that's really good for them. I'm glad (laughs) it's
0: really good for them.
1: (laughs) It's uh, I'm so glad I've got my program now. It's been really good for me, and I'm so glad that these uh, that the people that maybe uh, that I hurt or uh, others have hurt that they have a place to go. Okay, so it was good for them, not a solution for me. You know, this loved one tried explaining to me that these people that I had spent a significant amount of my life with." developmental years even, had affected my life in not a good way, necessarily. And I could not even come close to being able to comprehend that. I said, they're gone. I don't get it. How could they still be a problem? And wouldn't they need to go into recovery? (laughs) What am I supposed to do about it? What are they going to do? Teach me how to fix them? You know, that was my first thought this uh this loved one was uh very convincing that I should go to my first meeting and asked me a lot to go so one of my coping mechanisms is to uh just give in to shut the person up so i went to my first al anon meeting <laughs> it was different from a structure that i have become familiar with as we'll just put it in quotes normal <laughs>
0: It it was not a meeting in the format that you now find helpful or comfortable. Is that another way to put that?
1: Yeah, sure. They didn't have the normal introductions, an introduction that that many many of the meetings that I go to, almost all of them, didn't even have that, as I recall. It could have, but I don't remember it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was my first one. Those things tend to go by uh, by a
0: blur. Blur, yeah.
1: So it could have. I'm not here to actually say negative things about the meeting. I'm I'm here just to talk about how I came out of that meeting. You didn't connect with that meeting. Certainly not. I I told that person, well, that what thank you for take I'm glad I went to that meeting, but those people are I'm not sure why they're there. I just didn't see a common theme. I I heard about a lot of them control. I heard like just It was just probably reflective of my mental state, really. But uh, I heard about them controlling a lot of people, whether they could or couldn't bring booze on their boats. I just left with an uncomfortable feeling. I felt like I could get any of that from an AA meeting, to be quite frank with you. So it didn't seem like they were talking about relationships or about the effects that others had left in their lives, which is why I was being told to go there. Right. So the specific problem that I was being sent there for wasn't even close to address. So I said, this is not for me. Thank you. And the person laid off of me. So problem solved. Yay. It was like, that was serenity. I found serenity in my first meeting by having that person never talking to me about it for a while again. So I think it was something like uh, six or eight months until my next meeting. And why did I go to a, a next meeting? That's a, you know, <laughs> it's it, that's the really funny part. Here I am, just living my life. I'm in early recovery from alcoholism, and I'm just figuring out how to do all these things. I had what now I've learned detached from everybody, uh, all the addicts and alcoholics, that I had decided whether they are addicts or alcoholics. Not only did I detach, but I detached with no explanation, and I abandoned a lot of these people. You know, we talk about loving detachment in this program. I've learned that. I've learned that along with that, there's there's all sorts of other forms of detachment too, like detaching with anger or um, um, detaching with other emotions, right? And so I, I feel like when I detach with no emotion or no explanation and just walk away, that could be helpful for me. In that situation, but that could be devastating and terrible for the other people. So that's kind of a little bit of what's going on in between these two meetings. You know, I, all the, these, these people have been. Detached with no explanation and kind of uh, abandoned. Even the ones that I had close friendships with, you know. In, in recovery, I have learned that that is not the way to go about things, and that's not the the, the most healthy way. I guess I should mm-hmm. should put. You know, my circumstance had led me to move in with my with my sister, and she's married, and this person that she's married to is somebody that nobody in my family immediately liked. When she asked everybody in the family before she married him what we thought, every one of us said, I don't think this is a great idea. (laughs) He's got a weird family. And, you know, coming from our
0: super healthy family, (laughs) we thought that was his family was a little bit weirder. (laughs) So His family is weird in, in a different way than our family is weird. So that's weird.
1: Yeah. You know, um, before I had moved in, I had gotten a warning from her son, which is my nephew. And he told me about a time that he had lived there that he had gotten into a fist fight with this guy. And the police had been called. And he had called to warn me like, this, you like, you know, you have a history of anger issues. And maybe this isn't a good environment for you to find recovery. (laughs) And so I said... I can do this. I can do this on my own. I'll figure it out. That was you. That was you. That's not me. you were angrier than I was. You're an angry person. Mm. And took it all off of me, put it on the brother-in-law and on him, and that was the only reason it happened. But So when I moved in, I got a little bit closer view that the dynamics going on there. And that first Al-Anon meeting, some things people had said, and I couldn't be specific, I have no idea what was said really popped into my head. I realized that my sister needed the program. Oh my gosh, she could fix him. That's, that's what we could do. I knew that the way to, in quotes, help her do that was to, to go to her first meeting with her. So we handpicked her first meeting and we went to that one, and when we introduced ourselves, I, I said my name. I said that I was uh, here for her, <laughs> and that meeting was good. It was um, they read the introduction as I've come to know as normal, and they did the pigeon reading. So that's the oh, reading. Wow. <laughs> that's the reading. The reason why I I, I opened up with that reading. Mm-hmm. That's the big one, and I thought that was so funny. You know, I thought that, that pigeon reading was hilarious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else was laughing, too. And I was like, wow, this is a lot different than my first meeting. And then th- there was uh, long gaps of silences. And everybody there was talking about just some horrible situations going on. And they were opening up in ways that I could not believe. I could not believe the stories that these people were sharing. It was very, you know, intimate in in the way that they were I couldn't why would they be I wouldn't tell this to anybody. These are the things that I would keep in to my dying day or I would have asked someone else to tell me, I guess. <laughs> uh but I would never share them. My sister must have related. She was crying. Uh the whole meeting almost I started crying. I was, you know, I don't know if that was codependent crying. I didn't relate with anything anybody was saying, but I was sitting there just, I don't know if all guys do this, but I was trying to shove my tears back into my face to the palms of my, with my, uh, my mm. wrists and my hands are like, I would look up to the sky. So you know, look up so that nobody would. Maybe it was allergies. I was just hoping that nobody would think I'm crying because uh, uh, that's not what guys do. But I saw a couple of guys crying, and I, saw, I was wondering what was wrong with those those guys. <laughs> this is not the place to do that. There are women around, and oh, how embarrassing. I felt bad for them. <laughs> and my sister passed, and I passed. What did I have to share? I don't have anything to say. I after she passed i whispered to her and asked her if, why didn't she have anything you know don't you want to say something about your husband and how terrible he is <laughs> it was a, it was a good first meeting and we did go back uh, together for for a few for a few of them we did it behind his back couldn't talk about it to him even though it would have been just fine i, I she, she could have just said that she was going because of me you know a, a problem with a friend or family member with alcoholism. I had been a big problem in her life. My alcoholism was, had, had caused so many. She was the biggest worrier in our family, visibly at least. She would be the one that would try to take my keys and try to uh, just do these big acts of jumping in front of the train, so to speak, to get in, in, in between the consequences. <laughs> but after a while um she and myself had tried implementing some tools that we had learned with him it actually created some uncomfortable family dynamics in the house and we felt empowered and he felt probably deflated i don't i can't read his feelings mm-hmm. but he, def, def, he definitely didn't react so well and he made her stop going very controlling person. It's one of the things I wanted to help her with (laughs) and free her of that. And so it was a little discouraging to me. This isn't my problem. Why should I have to keep going back to this meeting for him or for her? Uh, But I did. I figured I should do it for her. And so I kept coming back to deliver the messages and we had bought all the books, gave her all her homework assignments And sometimes I did them myself just to make sure that I could uh, relate with her and, uh, you know, text her and see if she had to actually make sure she was doing them because she was pretty good at lying about it. So I wanted to be sure that she was doing her homework assignments. I love that homework idea. (laughs) I've come to relate with a lot of uh, shares with this. Yeah, about (laughs) controlling? Yeah. (laughs) So so I really got involved in her recovery when it wasn't mine to get involved in or mine to tell her she needed. And I might've been the one that needed more recovery than anyone. She wasn't the one coming to me asking for help. I was the one saying that help.
0: (laughs) You were trying to force help on her.
1: Yeah. Right. And saying, Hey, this guy's a big problem. And really he was the biggest problem for me. He was a big problem for her too. Trust me, I, I, I worried for her as as I also found out was a pretty common characteristic with other people at the meetings was, was worry, just worried about that phone call when she had to find a, she'd have to go to find a safe house or something when mm-hmm. things got too far or whatnot. Those are the kind of worries that I had in that relationship because the, the yelling would just get just so intense sometimes. hmm over time, I, uh, I kept coming back for me. And and the reason I kept coming back for me is because I did start relating with a different thing. I started realizing that these homework assignments, which I didn't call them homework assignments. I would say what good manipulator would ever (laughs) just be so blatant about it. (laughs) You know, I just, I would say things like, don't you think that you should I would frame things in a way to make her agree that she thought she should be doing these things and ask her if it would be helpful if I was her accountability coach <laughs> and forced her, made her, you know, kind of uh, just take on this thing, whether she liked it or not, she, you know, uh, untreated al tend to be agreeable. So she, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, so she did a lot of that. So I'm really glad that I kept coming back and and hearing the message that she actually had become my problem person and I was trying to control her that that the, the, the dynamics from the first meeting to the point where I had started a a big shift had happened where you know I came in with him in mind to to fix him inadvertently or to help her fix him and then really there was just this came to the realization or the awareness that this whole time i had just been manipulating and controlling her to solve her problems and so i'm really glad that the relate that's that's why i kept coming back was for me and and that was because of what i started to relate to it wasn't I wasn't relating on her behalf, which was the first block of meetings. I, I can't really recall how long that was. It might have been two or three months. It was, oh, uh, she would relate to that. right? She would relate <laughs> to that. Yeah, that's her. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yep. Mental note. I'm going to tell her about that for sure. Yeah, she'll know that. She'll appreciate this. Yeah. They'll mean yeah. a lot to her. And then there was just a shift. And, you know, I don't know if it was a higher power or just I've heard the term asmosis just from me sitting my, (laughs) my, just from me sitting my ass in the seat, uh, starts to soak in, starts to soak in from the ass. For some (laughs) reason there was just that shift where I just started hearing a different story and I started seeing me in what I used to see in her position with him. So the, 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 the theater kind of changed, right? So here I am sitting in her position and 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 now she's my problem person and I'm realizing that all of these things that I've done. So the first step reading looked totally different to me after that. There's a couple couple things that really every time in in, in my home group we read the the step one reading out of the blue, how Al-Anon works for families and friends of alcoholics, page 45 and 46 are a couple excerpts that I'll be reading here. It starts in the last paragraph on page 45 uh, it says, we take offense at actions that have nothing to do with us or we intervene where it is inappropriate and neglect our legitimate obligations to ourselves and others. For me, you know, I would take offense when she wouldn't take action with him when he would say things that were just they had crossed my line. <laughs> I don't know what her line is, but for me it crossed it. And if she was, you know, a human being, it had definitely crossed her line. You know, so all sorts of judgment, terrible, you know, things that I didn't identify as those at the time. But they had nothing to do with me. Those were her issues to to deal with. I intervened where it is inappropriate by have her go to that first meeting. Now, is that terrible that we went to a meeting together? No, that's great. I'm so glad she got introduced to Al-Anon. She found that it wasn't the best fit for her, apparently. You know, she hasn't kept uh, going on with it and neglected our, our legitimate obligations to ourselves and others. Now there, you know, when I had started to come to the realization uh, about what my actual role in this was, I started realizing how much time, what kind of time suck this was. Mm. And I had just started my own business and I was going through some uh, legal things because of where my addiction had gotten me. And I was going through this time of rebuilding my life and relationships and all sorts of things. And I felt like I had time to intervene here And I'll just continue on here. And it says, Our misplaced concern for others becomes intrusive, meddling, resented, and doomed to failure. Instead of helping those who we care about, we demonstrate a lack of respect for them and create discord in our relationships. Oh my gosh, my sister, my sister and I have been really close. That's why she saved me and said, Hey, move in with me. You need help. Amongst all the reasons, this period of time when I was coming back with the homework assignments nonstop, checking in on her, reporting back all the things that she should, she would have related to at the meetings. This was a t- period of time when our relationship was probably at its weakest. And I was living and physically closest to her than I had been ever or in a long time. And so that really uh, spoke to me in a different kind of way. And I definitely created discord in our relationship. And then uh, on page 46, in what I've come to call the long paragraph, it says, For example, many of us have confused love with interference. We don't know how to show affection or support without giving advice, seeking to sway another's decisions, or trying to get those we love to do what we think will bring them happiness. I don't know how obvious that is for you, listening, with what I've told you so far.
0: (laughs) Uh, I kind of hear that, yep. Trying to do what we think will bring them happiness, yes.
1: But I also like the part where the confused love with interference, Yeah. right? So, I love the wording, confused love. I never had the awareness or the tools of the program to see what I was doing as interference. Mm. It was me loving her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I could tell you that, and her, and anybody you ask me, with the straightest and the most sober of faces. I was doing this because I loved her. Mm-hmm. And, and that's serious. <laughs> it's unhealthy. There's no doubt about it. That's unhealthy. And whether she saw it as love or not is, is, is still yet to be seen, I guess. But that's, that also helps me when I see people interfering in my life. That helps me remember that they are likely doing this out of love. And can I interpret this? Do I have the ability to accept this as love? Mm -hmm. And can I just drop it? Do I have this ability? And I just had an opportunity with my mom just recently where basically she was intervening in a matter that had zero to do with her. And I had... I had a choice. My first reaction was to throw out some Alan on daggers, just throw those at her and say, you know, pew, 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 little, little, little daggers and say little cutting things like you're interfering. You know, basically the things I have memorized out of the book, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you're you're fe- interfering where inappropriate and you're neglecting your legitimate obligations to yourself and others. That would have felt great to her, I'm sure.
0: I'm sure it would have, yes. Uh, sarcastically stated. Yeah. Yeah, so now you're coming to Al-Anon for yourself at that point, huh? Yeah. It's
1: it's just such a, a, a different kind of reason for coming. I'll tell you one thing that I struggled with um, after that was relating I still actually had a trouble relating because the common story was this direct person in my life is an active addiction or is going through this tumultuous thing such as early recovery right or uh, is claiming early recovery or w- whatever that might be mm-hmm. I was not in that circumstance I was just looking for those little things like mm-hmm. the inadvertent the super subtle manipulations. That was my, I was looking for my style Mm. and they weren't always obvious. So it was, I just kept coming back um, because I knew I should.
0: So I want to throw out a phrase that I've heard in recovery rooms, which is identify, don't compare. Did you hear that? Did you start to practice that? as in this in this phase of your of your Al-Anon attendance what do you think
1: well not at first and so that's sure. so i went through
0: this phase where i was struggling so you would you would hear somebody talking about the alcoholic in their family or the person who you know hey my husband my wife my boyfriend my girlfriend my kid it just getting sober in aa and they told me i should come to al-anon so i'm here or you would hear they're still drinking and i'm struggling with it and maybe Al-Anon's helping me. And and so would you just sort of then shut off those people in your head?
1: No, no. I listen to, mm-hmm. to them. I listen to them. I One of the things that I really appreciated was that when I did share, my shares didn't sound like everybody else, but they listened to me. And one of the things that I just really loved about Al-Anon was that, that love I felt, that safety I felt. And I wanted to make sure I was providing that as well, so I didn't ever shut that off. And I did listen, and I think through through that I did eventually start relating, and, and move transition into from comparing into relating, and so I could hear those hear those things and start you know talking about how my story related and, and get benefit out of the newcomers and remember the feelings, the things that I experienced. That took a little while, and still sometimes I struggle with it, the the feelings that they go through because they're just a little bit different. There are some things that I, I, I really liked that were helpful. The, the steps really helped frame some, some safety uh, for me, and I had to realize as I started relating that I was not taking care of myself very well. I had this really odd mix of going through extremes of only taking care of myself and then only taking care of other people. And then I, I just had a really hard time of being even keel. So a lot of times I would just, I would be, my shares would be talking about looking for balance in my life. And that's what a lot of my early recovery was about. And I think it was maybe about a year, maybe a year and a half in that I, got a sponsor, and decided that I should start uh, working the steps. And, And I had already completed the steps, I think, in the other program. And I saw how there was just a different perspective on them, and it was so cool. It was just a different depth, though it was never talking about the other person or what they did to me it was saying, yes, that person did do something to me, and yes, that wasn't right, but here's what I have to do to change how I react to those things. And I really, 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 really liked those things, and so I decided that I really needed to commit to the program and not just come to meetings. I needed to do things differently to get more out of it because there were members there that had what I still wanted more of, and so that's still me today. You know, I still, I still want to do more. And so I, I, I still do my little service things. I am working the steps and I'm currently doing the blue book. The, uh, the blueprint for progress four step workbook. That's right. Yep. So I'll be on that for a while. Talk about awareness. That opens up my eyes to so many different things. And it's, it's just so helpful to me. And it helps me. My awareness process is, I like to think it's unique <laughs> because I'm a unique individual. We're all unique individuals. That's right. But the way my awareness works is that I'm aware of other people first and how they work, and I'm really good at taking their inventory, and then it shifts over to me. And that used to be a really bad thing. And and how I look at that now is that when I go through the blueprint, it helps me when things are done to me, we'll say, it helps me drop them so much more quickly, if mm. that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. I can see that, I can see it as, oh my gosh, this person's been affected by something.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: This comes from somewhere, and it has so much less to do with me than I thought. And it helps me drop it. And then, I it helps me shift that into inward right so it helps me shift it into this thing that i'm angry about right now or frustrated about right now has nothing to do with the person right in front of me Mm -hmm. and that's liberating
0: in my meeting this morning we were talking about step four somebody said you know i've heard this expression like work a fourth step on some particular thing and i don't really understand what that means I shared a little bit of my experience, which is that what that means for me is when something happens that doesn't seem quite right, or that seems quite wrong, the inventory that I do on that thing and helps me to figure out what did I do? And and actually in the reading in the book, Has the Recovery on step four, it suggests a method of inventorying where you look at, what did I do to cause the situation? Am I trying to control it? Am I trying to cure it? And how did I contribute? So, if I ask myself those questions, then I can start to see what actually my part is and what the other person's part is. And to me, that's that's a big part of what it means to me to, quote, work a fourth step on a problem, on a particular problem. What's my part? Because that's the part that I can actually do something about. Maybe I need to change some behavior. Maybe I need to make some amends. But until I actually look at it, and particularly, what's my part? Well, how did I contribute? How did I cause? What was I trying to do? What was I feeling? Why, why, why? You know, five whys, right? Right. I did this thing. Why did I do this thing? Well, because I felt threatened. Why did I feel threatened? Well, because of this experience in the past where I was threatened in a similar situation. Well, you know, why did I feel threatened there? It's a, and, and and you keep asking why until you get to something that's pretty core and you can't really ask why about it anymore. And that helps me to, again, to figure out what's my part and, and moving forward from the fourth step, moving forward from the inventory into the change steps where, we ask our higher power to help us change ourselves we make amends it helps me to know what are my actions in those steps for that that thing that's what i got triggered from what you just said and i probably went way the hell off of wherever you were now no no that
1: <laughs> that's that's pretty much that's that's pretty right on there you know i like the contribute part you know there's there's a member at, at my home group that at every first step uh, meeting, we generally have first step meetings when there's a, a a newcomer to their first or second meeting, and we read uh, out of the book I was reading from earlier and she she in her share she mentions the the fourth C and that's contribute right and yeah. and
0: I really appreciate her mentioning that. Part of the reading that you didn't read says we learned something about we learned that we did not cause, cannot control and cannot cure the alcoholic or the disease of alcoholism and then this person adds but i can contribute to the unmanageability i can contribute to the chaos and i'm here so that i don't do that you know i mean and and maybe that's not what she says explicitly but that's kind of the yep. message right i i did contribute and and that's one of the reasons i'm here
1: yep and and, and you know and i kind of It's not just great for the newcomer, but it's great for a reminder to me about the enabling thing. And oh my gosh, it's so funny that when, when I was in early recovery in Al-Anon, how en- enabling looks so much different than it does now. But getting in between the consequences of somebody's actions, the natural consequences of somebody's actions, it's just a simplified version of to me of enabling. And that is how a big way how I can contribute. Mm-hmm. And so I need to make a choice on a daily basis pretty much on how I want to, how am I contributing to people's lives, you know? And I can totally take, you know, Al-Anon allows me to take this program as deep as I want to, right? So I can take this into everyday living, and that's what I do. And so when somebody's doing something that bothers me, I need to do those whys that you were talking about earlier and see, am, am I doing something that is actually helping them from the change process, uh, keeping them. right. What that reading that I had mentioned earlier is demonstrating a lack of respect for them and not showing dignity to them to solve maybe their own problems. Am I contributing by so problem solving? So uh, that helping thing for me is a big part of that contribution, uh, that fourth C, and I've been really coming to um, realization of that and awareness of that through the fourth step blueprint progress.
0: Anything you want to add about how the program is working in your life today? I mean, we talked a whole lot about that, I think. But you might feel like, oh, wait, uh, I forgot to say this one thing or whatever.
1: Oh, sure. There's like, you know, I did – I, you know, it sounded like I put a lot of details in there, but that was just – o- that was an overview.
0: <laughs> yes. So I'll, I'll give you just what some – we're r- talking about – Decades of your life here, right? And, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, in an hour or whatever. Right. So, here's some recent things that I've used the the tools of Al-Anon to help with my family dynamics, to help with my serenity, and to contribute less to what I believe to be family chaos. Unlike other times in my life where there was comfort in the chaos, and chaos was normal, and this is how our family does things, and that's okay – okay, meant something different then. It meant, it actually brought me peace. This is where I wanted to sleep, right in the middle of the storm. <laughs> it's uncomfortable for me now, and that can actually present some problems. I want—I would like to be comfortable with my family, and, and actually with this new awareness, sometimes I can't be. And by can't, I, I mean that there's a little prick in my heart now that there didn't used to be, right? And so... I have to use the tools in the program so that there isn't a prick in my heart. An example recently was that it was my sister's birthday was coming up. Tom used to live, live in his own world and didn't remember too many people's birthdays. And by too many people, I mean almost no one's. I remembered my mom's birthday and mine and my dad's. That was it. I had two other siblings. I don't know what their birthdays are. The new Tom wants to remember those things. I want to be a contributing in the positive way, kind of member of uh, this family, and so I, I I tried to remember my my sister's birthday. The only reason I think I even remembered is because my other sister that I was living with texted me to ask what we were we were doing for his birthday. Family group style, total enmeshment, that's the way we do things, not fully self-supporting. The tradition's very helpful. I'll just not go into much detail there. She said something like, what do you think she would like? And I said, I don't know. It might be something to think about to ask her directly. What a concept. Is that something you learned in the program? It is. (laughs) So, instead of not talking about it or talking to everybody but the person, let's talk about to the person directly. I asked her, "Is this a surprise birthday party?" Right. <laughs> there are circumstances where you might not want to, right. but all the rest are nearly gossipy and don't feel real great. I have been in those scenarios where everybody but me knew. It feels awful. It felt awful for me in those circumstances and I would ha- I want to have nothing to do with that and being involved in in that process yeah, and that unhealthy chaotic family habit that everybody's doing out of love everybody loves her but yet they they have this family practice of okay so I left it at that that was not my first initial thought was to tell her that I wanted to yell at her and say god this is unhealthy (laughs) do it differently Mm -hmm. so I Mm -hmm. I took my Al-Anon pause (sighs) And I just said, here's one thing that I might consider. And I tried to take, put it on me. And so I left it alone. And I said to her that I will be doing something. I will make sure that I take care of something, birthday things with her. And if there is a group activity planned, I would be more than happy to try to be involved. Mm-hmm. And it, I was uh, trying there to draw boundaries Mm-hmm. someone did ask me for help. Yeah. There was a phone call for help. And I wanted to answer in a healthy way. They wanted this unhealthy solution, kind of, This is how I looked at it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of pivot a little bit and step out of the way and allow something natural to happen. And if it didn't happen, that would be okay, too. But I didn't want to have anything to do with unhealthiness. Uh, Moving on, I get a text from my mom that just says, bowling on a date that's a week after my sister's birthday, and it's like some fast food restaurant. And I'm a super foodie, and I was uh, not okay with that. (laughs) This is not okay with me. And again, it was not my sister making these plans, and again, that didn't feel good and just super chaotic. Here's another family member trying to make the family plans, not asking, telling, not saying that the other person's involved. I, you know, I just, oh my gosh. And then I had this higher power moment where the sister that is was celebrating her birthday called me, I pick up the phone, and it was an accidental call. She meant to call my mom. Uh-huh. That's why I was like, this is like a total higher power moment. This was meant to happen. So I was trying to catch up with her for a minute and then, I'd actually said, okay, well, I'll let you go so you can c- come on back. And she goes, no, you know, that's okay. Let's talk for a little bit. I said, this is definitely, that was my confirmation of higher power moment. I wanted to let it go and not just dominate. There's a concept there, not to dominate the conversation. Something else I'm learning in al we eventually got to the birthday. Yeah, I let her talk and it was a two-sided conversation. I said, what are you doing on your birthday and up to this point, I had assumed that yeah, there, you go. there were plans with maybe another friend or something because nobody had made any suggestions about having a birthday, a celebration on the birthday. And she said, well, I'm actually not doing anything on my birthday. And it was kind of mind-blowing. I took an Aladdin pause because I couldn't even believe what I had heard. Uh-huh. I was like thank you. <laughs> I was so happy. I said, "Well, would you like to go to dinner for your birthday on your birthday?" I was so happy that I was getting I was having the opportunity after all this chaos was going around this activity and it was kind of stressing me out. I was trying to be not part of the chaos. And then here it was like the clouds were clearing up and this ray of sunlight was coming in. And I just, all I had to do was say yes. (laughs) It was just perfect. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And so we got to have a really nice dinner. Everything worked out pretty well. You know, the day didn't go as planned. You know, I couldn't control the day. Yeah. How I had planned and neither did she. And I uh, showed up to her house right when she was ready. Like, like, it was okay. It was all right. You know, I, uh, I just, I, I made an apology. I didn't say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like I used to do. And I realized that there was just a bunch of things I couldn't control, and I did my best. And when we talked at dinner, I just briefly asked her, like, so what happened with all this birthday stuff? There was a lot of chaos going around. I tried to say it in a lighthearted manner, the old time would have kind of said it in a condescending way. Like, in a, you know, this family's really screwed up. Tell me about it. <laughs> You're part of it. And this, way, this time it was a little different. I was cognizant of the way I was trying to say it. And she was like, I know. Well, let me tell you about how it all started. And I won't get into that. But one thing she had mentioned was that, you know, our sister had called me and she said that she had called you to ask you about what she you thought that I would like to do for my birthday and you had suggested that she should talk to me directly and I thought that was really nice. I was like, Wow, that is really cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, it just it was just one of these things where the Al Anon tools, so many of them were at play right there in just such a little thing.
0: Yeah. That it enhanced my life. If, if I can quote from a different piece of literature about that, what I'm hearing is, we will intuitively know how to deal with situations that used to baffle us. Yep. One of the promises, right?
1: That's right. In, in an early re- in early recovery, the hands-off approach, the, um, that's how I avoided the family chaos. And it bothered me in the way that like it was a little bit reminiscent of how it was when I was in active addiction. I wasn't present. Mm -hmm. And so, how do I want to be an Al-Anon now, right? Mm -hmm. Do I want to be present? Whether or not those are problem people in my life, because they don't always have the choice of being a problem person. And, And that's something I've recently am starting to become aware of, that these people don't always have the choice of being problem people in my life. And I have the choice of keeping them in that role.
0: Mm. Oh, that's interesting. They
1: didn't put themselves in that role. I put them there. Whether they have, are they, have they been affected by the family disease, are they an addict or alcoholic? Whatever the case may be, they affect me. Right. And only I can find that freedom. They don't have to do anything. So, my path of recovery is to be recovered from that, to give myself the freedom to relieve them of that title, problem person in my life. Everybody in my family is a problem. Isn't that terrible? I don't want to say that. And it doesn't have to be like that. Right. And I'm the only one through the help of the program, not solo. I'm the only one, not any one of them, can can change that because it's it's in, inside of me. There's some things in the first step reading that allude to that, mm-hmm. that say that that talk about whether or not our alcohol, alcoholic gets sober or not. So. Their mental state has nothing to do with mine. So whether or not the family dynamics change one iota, I can make the choice of functioning inside of that chaos using all <laughs>
0: all the tools
1: in the yes. the tools of my program or not, you know, but I have that choice, and I want that, and that is something that I want. I don't want to be not present anymore in my family. I can only do what I can do. And that's the other part of the equation is that I can't force my way in the family. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have tried that. I have tried that. And, and it doesn't work either. Just like I tried forcing solutions with my sister. Those things still sneak up in me. There's, uh, there's another workbook. I can't remember the name of it, but it talks about having first step experiences again.
0: Yeah, and all the time.
1: And I have them all the time, yeah. but I don't always have the awareness. I'm having another first-step experience that I'm trying to control this thing in another way because I'm trying to show love, right? It always, I haven't peeled back the onion in that area that allows me to see it as controlling or interference. I'm just seeing it as I'm trying to show that I love. It's interesting.
0: That's one of the things that happens to me when— I end up at a table that's talking about the first step is sometimes I will suddenly flash on something in my life where, Oh, my life is unmanageable here because I'm trying to control it in a, in a situation that I don't have control. Sometimes people are like, well, why, why are you still going to meetings? Okay. Well, that's part of it because I don't always see my life in its true perspective, and I need that that light shining on it from a different direction to see sometimes what's going on. So yeah, that's awesome. I wanna I wanna thank you for for sharing your time with us today, Tom. And one of the reasons that I asked you here is because your story's not the same as a lot of people in the program. It's helpful to me. Hopefully, it's helpful to you know one of our listeners to to hear that different story because maybe they identify with it more than, than a lot of the stuff we do talk about here. I picked out some songs this morning, you know, last minute. Oh my God, I want to put some music in here. Well, I don't put the music in, but we talk about it. And the first song that I picked is by Coldplay. It's called fix you because I just hear that so much in your story that you were trying to fix people in your life. You were trying to do Al-Anon for your sister. To fix her right, to fix her relationship with the problem people in her life, and the refrain of the song is "I'll fix you," <laughs> and that's certainly where I was when I came in. You talked about your experience trying to fix, so it's like, yeah, this is a common experience that we have, and and it's and 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 so I just love the song for that. Welcome, your thoughts. You can join our conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And Tom, how can people do that?
1: You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 707 8795. Call right now to 734 707 8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions. If you have a topic you'd like to talk to us about, let us know.
0: The website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information about the show. It includes notes for each episode, links to the music, and I also try to put in links to the books that we talk about readings from, so you can order them from from anon we did get some feedback this week. I'm going to start with an, a short email from Kelly who says, Hi, Spencer. Just wanted to let you know I'm listening to your podcast on my six-hour drive, and I'm very grateful. Your show gives me the hope and encouragement I need to stay on the right path. You are a person of character and integrity and a good role model to us all. Thanks for your hard work and dedication. My program is stronger because of you. I hope you're having a good summer, Kelly. And and thank you, Kelly. I'm glad we can be there on a six-hour drive. I certainly, when I'm driving long distances, uh, podcasts are keep me going, and I have a lot of recovery podcasts in in my playlist, along with uh, my playlist tends to be a combination of podcasts about recovery, about music, and about podcasting, <laughs> along with some other random NPR podcasts scattered in there. But yeah, it's it's wonderful for driving. Uh, you want to read the the letter from Cynthia? Sure. And just to
1: note, we'll be traveling up north in a few days here, and we'll be listening to lots of
0: podcasts, I'm quite sure. And the other thing that actually that I wanted to say is, I couldn't do this podcast without people like Tom who who come in and and contribute their own voice. Well,
1: we're happy to do it. I am. So let me read this uh, email from uh, Cynthia from Dallas. Don't yuck on my yum. What a blessing Anne-Marie was. Thank you for sharing her open talk in episode 255. I left you a voice message about a month ago requesting an episode for parents who are living with minor children who are struggling with drug and or alcoholic addiction. So I was thrilled to tune in two weeks ago to hear your interview with Mary and Ellen in episode 254. I found myself nodding my head through most of the conversation as I could so closely relate with their experiences. There are nuances to making decisions when you are dealing with a minor child versus an adult, and it is a blessing to be able to learn from others who have walked this path before me. My son has always struggled with social anxiety and insecurity, and he started self-medicating with drugs and alcohol when he was 16 years old. It has been a long two-year journey for our family through rehab, therapeutic boarding school, and now a wilderness program. I'm thrilled to report that my son is about about to enter a step-down program where he will live in a sober living dorm and start a junior college this fall. Throughout it all, I have learned much about myself and the role I played in enabling him through Al-Anon. I am grateful today for learning how to detach with love and allowing him the dignity of making his own decisions, even though I might not always agree with him. I have learned about self-care and how to set, and more importantly, hold boundaries, and how control is an illusion and how the only thing you can do is control yourself and the reactions you have to those around you. I now realize that I cannot control the outcome of any situation, only every decision I make along the way. I credit al for showing me a path to peace and happiness. Thank you, Spencer, for all that service you do for your fellow al family. This podcast is a blessing in my life, and I am also grateful
0: for you. Best regards, Cynthia S. Thank you for sharing your experience there, Cynthia. And I'm glad that Ellen and Mary were able to speak to you and I hope to many others as well, because they were able to, you know, bring that reality in that I don't have. Again, this is the thing that I said about I can't do this without the other people who contribute. Prissy left a really short note. She says, I loved this episode in Anne-Marie's story. Thank you for these podcasts, and you know I loved Anne Marie's story. That's why I shared it. Right? We got a voicemail from Pat.
2: Good morning, Spencer. It's Pat on the West Coast. I just had kind a of thought, an idea for a topic, and it was like it was like good enough. And, and I've heard you use the phrase in the in the podcast, and I use it frequently, feeling like I'm not good enough. And and so maybe the topic is being good enough. What is good enough? I'm sure it's been touched on tangentially in many ways, and maybe there's even an episode on self-esteem, so maybe we don't need to go there, but it just struck me so often when I'm kind of in a conundrum or not feeling so good about an interaction or you know, feeling a little bad about myself, I realized that what comes up in my mind is that I'm not good enough. And so, what is a thought? Otherwise, it's a fabulous beautiful morning and I'm walking to work, listening to your podcast, and it always grounds me for the day. So, thank you again, as always. Take care and hope your August is is a good one. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks, Pat. I think for me, one of the things that Going to meetings and practicing the principles of the program allows me to see is that I'm human, that I'm not the only person who has the flaws that I so easily see in myself. And that helps with the, yes, I am good enough. Also coming to, you know, really get the the sense of love from a higher power helps with that too. You have any thoughts on uh, that concept of good enough or not good enough, uh, Tom? Well, I can tell you I struggle with it.
1: (laughs) Don't we all? The Al-Anon program has helped me in that, but it's a long journey. Um, It's one that I have to keep reminding myself and sponsorship, wow, it plays a big role in it. Meetings do too, and the meeting after the meeting plays a bigger role in that because I don't crosstalk and I don't go to meetings with crosstalk. So there isn't that uh, two-way interaction. But when I start... The more relationships I develop within the program and I get to talk to uh, or rather about things that I'm struggling with, the more I get the comments and insight and experience from others that have been there to let me know or help remind me that I'm doing the best I can. and, And that was just something that I tried. It's a lot better than what I used to do. And it's a different thing. And it doesn't change doesn't always feel good. The other thing is that systems, especially family systems, aren't okay with change. They're very comfortable with the way they are. So that uh, for somebody that already has fragile self-esteem, you can be doing an esteemable thing like not adding to the chaos of a family and get their rejection of that and feel like you weren't doing an esteemable thing. Mm-hmm. And it can be kind of a mm-hmm. crushing feeling. And so that's where, I, where that sponsorship, the fellowship, the fellowship aspect of, of, of Al-Anon plays a vital role for me. But it's a long role, you know. It's one of those things where practicing the principles is important, and, and I don't have that perspective on my own. I I'm the one that got myself right here, you know, my my thinking, right? So if I keep trying to use that thinking, I will keep staying in a low self-esteem. So that's my thoughts on that. Thanks.
0: You want to share what Dave sent? He wrote here are two important photos that helped me. Not sure where or when I got them. Yeah, so
1: these are these are interesting. So one's a quote uh, from Benjamin Benjamin Franklin. It says consider how hard it is to change yourself and you will understand how little
0: chance you have in trying to change others. So that's a good one. And and it's 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 a like a, you know, a gif or something and the background has like butterflies and caterpillars. To me that's about change and it's about changing yourself because caterpillar caterpillar changes into a butterfly, right? But you can't make a caterpillar change into a butterfly. Think about that one. Nice. Yeah, what's the other one? The other one this
1: this one I really liked. Some people aren't loyal to you. They're loyal to their need of you. Once their need changes, so does their loyalty.
0: The picture's kind of like, I don't know, I, the impression I get is it's kind of like fog with this person in the lower corner kind of walking off into the fog. You just see the, their back, and they're like putting on an overcoat or something.
1: Looks like they're walking away from you, yeah. getting ready to leave your your life. Yeah. And then Dave sent another email He says, my denial was so strong, I thought I could help people who blurred out that they were drug addicts who've been in treatment several times. When different women I dated asked me to lock up my painkillers after using my bathroom the first time it felt like home, where my out-of-control addict parents raged and were high over and over, my dad died of liver cancer when I was 11. I honestly thought my purpose in life before Al-Anon was rescuing addicts. The ACOA quote about confusing love with pity shook me to my core. Dave W.
0: Yeah, and so there's another one. We confuse love with pity. Mm. We confuse love with interference. We confuse love with pity. We confuse love with a lot of things we think we're loving, but we're sometimes we're not. And, and that's, again, the program helps us to sort that out. Help me to sort that out. Eric and Jana both sent basically the same comment in response to Anne-Marie's talk, which if you've listened to Anne-Marie's talk, you'll, you'll know where it came from. They said, what a blessing. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Penelope, Lucy, Christina, and Deborah did. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening to us. We are here for you. The other song that I picked here today is by Paul Simon. is titled Still Crazy After All These Years. And, you know, I talked about why I keep coming back. Because recovery is a process. For me, it doesn't end. I'm never going to be, you know, cured of my codependency. I'm just going to be in recovery from it. I'm never going to be cured of the the desire to fix other people. I just can be in recovery from it. And as long as I keep practicing, my life will be better than without. And these lyrics from the song kind of capture a bit of that feeling for me. I seem to lean on old familiar ways and I ain't no fool for love songs that whisper in my ears. Still crazy after all these years. Oh, still crazy after all these years. You can listen to both those songs on our website at therecovery.show slash 256 I also will put the pictures that uh, Dave sent so you can uh, actually see them rather than just hear us describe them and thanks Dave thank you for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.